0: Welcome to Ted Today our topic is something that's relevant to all teachers at the moment. Uh, it's what we teach and how we teach it, uh, after Ofsted's announcement that they are going to start looking closely at curriculum and indeed assessing schools for curriculum. Um, our guest is Dr Cecilia Chan, who is Head of Professional Development and Associate Professor in the Centre for the Enhancement of Teaching and Learning at the University of Hong Kong. Hi Cecilia.
1: Hi John, thank you for inviting me and to the podcast.
0: So, I think one thing that's been missing in the discussions around curriculum so far in this country is the what parents want, essentially. And I believe this is how you got into looking at this area yourself, or became very interested in this area, was was what you were looking for for your children as a parent in terms of what was taught in the school.
1: Yes, that is correct. Um, I'm actually a mother, uh, as well as um academic um, in, in education, so I'm kind of wearing two hats. And... Um, well, in the recent article that I, you know, I published, it's about Tiger Moms and dads driven by the CASH-22 environment. And um, obviously, I'm in Hong Kong, and most people would realize that, you know, Chinese culture are very driven by grades and very driven by assessment as well, and the academic knowledge. Now, maybe I should mention a little bit about my own background. Um, I was actually born in Hong Kong, but I actually grew up in Ireland, so I'm not, totally Chinese, I'm actually quite bicultural as well because my husband is Irish. Um, But in terms of that, that actually does not um, get me away from the whole tiger mom situation because even though I think I'm not a tiger mom, but my children respect the difference. Um, For those of you who are thinking, what is the tiger mom? The actual definition of a tiger mom is a mother raising her children in a traditional Chinese way, including strict rules, tough love, discipline to get the children to succeed, right? And the tiger mom is, uh, is um, basically coined by Amy Choi, who's a Yale professor, and uh, she wrote a book about tiger mother. And uh, yeah, so what actually happened was, um, I think, in the, thinking back, is quite interesting, because um, probably about seven years ago now, and my first daughter, my eldest daughter was only four years old, and we're trying to get her into a primary school. And now I know the primary school uh, education system is quite tough in Hong Kong, at least to get into the different um, good school, right? You know we call it elite you know, like school in Hong Kong. Um, but people have been telling me, go, ah, oh, Cecilia, don't worry, you know you are you are a professor at the University of Hong Kong. Your husband is, you know, is Westerner. You get into any any school, no problem. So I was a little bit like, you know, confident, maybe overconfident at that stage. And um, now. I did what most Hong Kong parents did and applied for um, 15, 16 school. I know it sounds crazy, but I didn't know the system very well. And, uh, you know, I, I just follow what everybody else did. And um, what actually happened was then um, we were very lucky. You know, my daughter went for an interview. Well, she had to go for a group interview first. Then she had to go to an individual interview. Then we went for a parent interview. So there were three set of interview and uh, for the first one she actually had to do some writing and stuff as well now she was only four years old at the time four years old okay it's quite extensive and, for, um,
0: uh, compared to this system where you apply and it's almost like a postcode lottery In sometimes some point where you get to a school but you actually had an interview process an academic interview process for for your four-year-old
1: exactly exactly and uh, a lot of parents actually and um, bring them to prep interview courses and they cost hundreds of pangs, you know, per class, yes, so it's not abnormal, you know, I mean, I was actually quite um, relaxed about that, I didn't bring her to any of those things, you know, kind of, I just dressed her very pretty, that's what I did, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I thought that might help, you know, and anyway, um, you know, she went for the first one, and she got it straight away, so I was very confident, and I go, I fine, now, I declined the first one, because it wasn't exactly the school I really wanted, because it was quite far from where I lived, so I thought, well, if the, if the first one take my daughter, then all of them will take my daughter. That's what I thought. And um, all the other 14 schools basically declined me. Didn't even have a second interview, didn't have parent interview, didn't have anything. Now, I was pretty stuck then. Um, at the end, my, my daughter was, you know, got into an international school, right, which was the international kindergarten that she was in before. So she was but, of course, kinder uh, international school is very expensive in Hong Kong and in most countries, as you would know. And um, so it costs an amount a lake. So, um, but we, we have no other choice, so we went with that. Now, because of that whole situation, um, I got myself extremely interested in that particular topic, and I researched on it, and I basically um, did a questionnaire with 99 kindergarten in hong kong and got over 3,000 questionnaire response as well and i asked the parents right and what do they want for their children you know what are the important factors to choose a school what is their choice of you know for choosing that particular school and um they all come back with the first reason was that child's happiness okay now there are other reasons that they wanted to choose as well but um But first of all was the child's happiness. Then it was the um, school reputation and conduct. And then the third one was teacher's qualification and reputation, which I think in, in a way that actually, you know, sum it up, it's not all about academic, you know, driven assessment and so forth either. And now looking at that, you know, we look at child's happiness being the, you know, as a parent, as a researcher, if child's happiness is the most important factor, how come the school are doing what they are doing you know pushing all the you know academic stuff and assessment and and driven so 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 hard so that was kind of beyond me so um kind of go into more deeper um you know into the whole research right and um and also as a parent as well and i think it's because we are stuck we are in what i call the cast 22 environment and what i really mean is that you know On one hand, the study showed that parents actually understand and believe in the child's happiness is the most important criteria for them. But on the other hand, they're being driven by the academic, you know, environment, you know, because if the school want to keep on their reputation, they need to ensure that they are following a good assessment process. They need to be, you know, up on the top. Otherwise, the parents and and the government will have other, you know, external scrutiny. Scrutiny onto them, and then of course, you know, I'd be happy not to do any extra study with my children and let them be and happily ever after. But all the other parents in the classroom wouldn't. They will continue having extra tutorial, you know, extra academic and you know, extra curricular activities as well. So I would be left behind. So all my children would be left behind, and I can't do that for to them. So basically, I'm stuck to be a tiger mom. I have no choice. That's <laughs> what you, I mean by. It. <laughs>
0: did I? Yeah. Uh, you know, some might argue that that sort of getting good test results and an academic education would make a child happy in, in, in some way. Is um, your research or or, the, or what you've what you've read suggests that that isn't the mm. case? I know in this country there's some strong evidence to suggest mm. that mental health issues are going are going up, but there's no sort of there's no sort of strong correlation between that and, and the testing regime. Have you seen, what, what, what do you think in that area?
1: Well, we have, um, we have very, very strong, like from OECD, right, so we are participating in OECD. We are one of the top. ourselves, Singapore, Korea, we are one of the top for reading, mathematics, and science. Mm. However, we are also one of the top in terms of um, um, happiness, children's, teenager happiness. I think when I mean one of the top the average is seven point three and we are six point five, I think they're not happy at all. Yeah. And we have we have very, very high um suicidal rate. Okay. For teenager. Yeah. And uh, is that how and taught, and basically think,
0: or is that what is taught? I mean, it's a it's a difficult question, isn't it? Because you could deliver something yes. quite quite academic in a very entertaining, fun way. Uh some would argue that, mm-hmm. that means you learn less, perhaps. Doing it, doing it that way or you can deliver you can have a very fun topic or a very a topic that makes kids happy but delivered in a very dry way i mean how is that quite an interconnected relationship there between content and teaching
1: yeah content is a is a big situation over here there's um there's too too much too much content and um you know with all the exam right you know the assessment are basically based on the content rather than more on the on As you said, the process, you know, the process can be fun if they can do it in fun, in a fun way. But unfortunately, if, if there's so much content, it's hard to actually finish that content as the teacher. And of course, you know, not all the teacher would, you know, they have to have their job and they go, well, I have to finish the content. They haven't actually understood the whole, how do we transfer from, you know, from one to another, you know. They base everything onto, onto the academic knowledge instead, Yeah. So, oh, that, so the that is level big problem. Is
0: essentially dictating the pedagogy because there's just too much okay. to, to to cram in to do it any other way than sort of a very um, direct, rote way of learning. Yeah.
1: Um, I was looking at Finland, you know, and some of their curriculum because they have very innovative curriculum and, you know, is actually renowned about that. Um, But they have the OECD score, very, very high life satisfaction for 15 years old students. In fact, one of the highest in 2015. Um, And they have also very, very high reading and uh, science scores as well. I think their max is probably up there in, you know, on the top 10 anyway. So, but their curriculum is very as you would say, fun, innovative, active learning. Uh, I don't see why we cannot actually, you know, copy, if you would say, you know, copy this, but we haven't been able to do that. And it sounds like in England it's not doing that either. I mean, I, you know, I noticed, and this is one of the things I mentioned in the article, um, that in, in Ireland and UK, there are – getting more and more tutorial centers and, um, you know, shadow education. I know it's a big industry, you know, for us here. And, um, and I think it's actually increasingly big over there in, in, in Europe, in Ireland and England. Um, but the parents realize that, you know, just getting good scores in academic is not the way out. And if they're going to do that, they have to ensure that they are not in what I would call a test 22 situation, that we are just pushing the children you know, achievement and not their children's happiness. I think that's a the important point. Uh, you know, for the parents and and policy maker to to think about.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because that shadow education side. It, it, you know, in this country, I guess the equivalent is getting tutoring to get into a a, a private school or a grammar school mm-hmm. to pass those exams. Your the social justice angle of that is is quite strong because if you're, as you say, you know, there's a bit of a education arms race between. Um, families in hong kong because of the the cultural aspect Mm -hmm. but over here if if you're if you have a shadow shadow education system where you know the rich are able to buy extra time if if you if you want to call it that extra time and resource the it sort of devalues if you like what the what the school does what the um what the the normal state school does in in the time it has with those children.
1: Yes, no, it's true. Like, I mean, I know in, uh, in England it's more of a private school, but I also noticed this and um, the tutorial center, the shuttle education is actually coming along as well. Kuhlman, for one of them, right, is actually setting up more and more bases. And, and parents are going for it. I have a lot of friends actually, you know, start sending their seven years old, eight years old to do mathematics and English. And now I do think that's, you know, somehow seeing what's happening in Asia. You know, they're, they're thinking, I mean, since when I was very young, people have always said to me, oh, Chinese people are very good at mathematics. OK, I don't know where they got that from. They just believe that. Right. And and I, yeah. and I think it's probably they think, well, you know, they they just push them more and more and do more and, you know, extra exercise. You know, that's how they get better now. And this is thing. Like, even if we are getting better because we can practice the same thing over and over again, can we apply it in real life situations? And this is one of the things that you know I always wonder. Like for example, right, John? I'm sure you went into you've done your through your second school and your university. I don't know what this you came from, right? I came from an engineering background, okay, and I'm an engineer even you know, even for my PhD. But um, do you remember trigonometry? Oh, tr- um, tell you what it is it sine theta and tan theta do you remember those
0: I, I know of them but i couldn't tell you how to do them now no and i did the Math a level yeah. which is shameful <laughs> now
1: the funniest thing about that right you know i actually use that um you know as an example all the time you know why are we learning that why why do we do that in secondary school why do we learn sine theta and co- cosine theta i mean unless you are architect or an engineer you never use again you will never go to a supermarket and start kind of measuring the the corner of a supermarket you know trolley and go what's the science either of that right but the funniest thing is that when you are a student you never question it you just do it right and this is the, the the story about academic knowledge you would not question your teacher why are we learning this you know what is it for you just go ahead especially things like mathematics you know, algebra, you know, uh, cosine, theta, trigonometry. You, you, nobody ever question it. You just do it as told. How you actually apply you, you know, it's hard to know. Right? Nobody really uses it afterwards, you know, unless you're a certain, certain discipline, you know, unless you're in NASA or something. Um. So this is one of the things I do think that, you know, we need to get better. If you apply it into real life, you know, make it, make it actually authentic. And maybe that is something that we're not doing enough in you
0: know in our curriculum. It's interesting isn't it because you're, you're in a culture where it's a very very academic education and, and what you're saying is one it's not making children happier and two you're, you have your doubts as to whether what all this time spent in between the ages of four and 18 is, is useful and I guess that comes down to an, a viewpoint on education what is it for and in this country certainly people are arguing that we should equip children with a, a foundational base of knowledge so they can go on and do different things but the, the counter, mm. the argument to that appears to be that actually what a waste of time for a lot of these children that may not need to learn, ever use that knowledge again.
1: Yeah, I mean maybe, maybe I should say that way, I mean maybe it sounds totally negative right, but um, maybe we should make it more relevant probably the work it is probably very useful all the things that we have done is actually useful but um, in some way we are not teaching it in such a way that is relevant to what they should be useful for and not applying it not transferring it you know and i think this is something that we need to do better rather than just you know teaching them content now you have heard about it i'm sure you heard many many times right you know we don't know what's going to what kind of job is going to be available in 2030 right or 2040. Some of the jobs that is available now is not going to be there in you know in ten years' time okay and um, things are changing I mean people are saying that you know 3 d printer is going to be able to um, create fully functional organs in twenty thirty and that is the fact okay so and and computers is going to be able to generate program we probably don't even need programmers anymore because we can tell, we can tell Siri right what to do Siri from from apple yeah. so um, we don't need programmers because you know we need either higher level or very low level people to to work those out so um so we have to be ensure that whatever we're teaching is transferable into different contexts different disciplines
0: do you think that parents on the whole you know because i guess most parents in this country wouldn't have had uh the an academic knowledge of of the level we are giving our children now do you think when they're looking for a school when you've done the survey no one said oh, I hope they're teaching this, bi- this bit of content. So if, if we assume that a parent is a client of education mm-hmm. in that respect and they want happiness and they want, I think you said, good teachers mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and the third aspect, there wasn't, there wasn't content- Reputation. Why are we? Yeah. Reputation, that yeah. was right, yes. Why are we doing, why, why is it this sort of just natural organic thing that we, well, we teach academic content, that's what we do in schools. Mm-hmm. Where's that from?
1: Um, so yeah, I mean, I I actually don't know. I think it's actually I tell you what is it right? I think we are not thinking outside the box. That's what we are not doing. We are still thinking inside the box as policymakers, uh, teachers. We are we are we are not we're inside a frame, okay? And I understand, you know, because I am I am kind of in in that aspect as well within my my role right in the university and there are so much that i can do but so much i cannot do okay in order to change i mean if i have a blank piece of paper and then say to all my you know teachers and and academic and go hey what do you think is the perfect university or perfect school for for students they probably draw me something totally different from what we have now okay but obviously we can't do that because we are in front of framework, right, you know? I mean, can you totally scrub, um, you know, all exams? We, we're probably not ready for that. Because the next the next thing people is gonna ask is, right, if you scrap all academic knowledge and scrap all exams, what are you gonna do instead? How are you gonna show? You know, and that is probably a, a question. So we always have to do a baby step, and then of course you heard of two step forward, one step back <laughs> situation.
0: Do you think we're just increasingly resorting to the most easily measurable component of education then? And we're assuming that if we measure the most easily measurable bit, then everything else will sort itself out. Of course, if they're, if they, you know, if they're a good school academically, then I'm sure they're great pastorally, or I'm sure they're great in, you know, in, in creating children that can go into a workplace and, and thrive. And There's a degree of trust or assumption in that relationship.
1: Are we going for the easiest option? That's probably what you're asking me. Um, and yeah. I don't think they're going for this easiest option. I just don't think we are there yet. I don't think we have come up with a, the the optimum idea. I think if someone say like, oh, no, I've came up with the optimal idea. Let's go along with that. I think, you know, someone will decide, okay, you know, one of the universities or one of the countries will go, let's let's do that and change that. But I haven't, you know, I don't think anybody can say, look, this is the way to go. And, and that's the problem and uh, and if you say like you know I know academic knowledge but content too much content is bad, but there are certain points there are certain discipline, certain things that need to be content re- like you know we need to know the content you know, and um, you can't just go keep going to theory and ask them you know how to do this and how to do that because sometimes you just need to know the basic for example i do I do believe this, and maybe it's a Chinese tradition of I me mean, you do need to know your timetable, for example. Okay. Yeah. I think that's absolutely one of the most fundamental things and you need to learn it off by heart I don't know how I don't care how service learning that is but you need to learn it off by heart because that is actually really useful when you go to a supermarket and actually calculate in your head how much you actually spend okay and and then of course then there are other things that we need to be making more transferable and more relevant and I, and I, I do believe that but um, you know how do we do it can we somehow shift some of the culture so it's not totally academic so we can balance it a bit i think that's probably you know so we can have academics and then we have you know the 21st century skills as well that everybody been talking about that is because that is the thing that is going to change the world that we live in and um, that's what students children need to have in the future
0: I guess what you're arguing for really is a a more nuanced curriculum, not this binary curriculum where we go, oh, it has to be all academic or sometimes you get schools where it's all all the other way, okay, we're just doing completely, you know, uh, skills-based learning. You're arguing, well, we don't have to have this binary, we can have something in the middle where we assess stuff on usefulness. Yeah. So if that academic if that academic knowledge is useful then then it gets through the gate if you like and if that skills-based approach is is, is useful we get it gets through the gate and and yet no one you you sort of arguing no one sort of found that balance yet
1: yeah well, at least we haven't actually coded up yet like i know i know um, a lot of the university and even school are now looking to experiential learning a lot because um um people realize that you know if they experience it and uh, In a meaningful way, especially, then they can develop certain type of skills, right? Which is obviously better than just sitting in the classroom, writing up your, you know, your essay and and so forth. Um, I was looking at this poll that, um, Hasham Al Ghali, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's the science in nature. Um, he does a lot of things on Facebook and blog and social media. He actually asked, I think he actually sent this up uh, 20, 20 hours ago. He said, what do you think is most valuable in the modern world? Is a university certificate or degree or a practical experience? And uh, so far, there's 33,000 people who have actually voted, and um, 18% said university certificate, 82% said practical experience. So, wow. Yeah. So it's obvious. So you know, I'm sure some of those are parents, right? You know, and they we we do agree that practical experience are more important because um, it's not about. It's really not about, you know, um, employment, just employment anymore, it's about how to live and how to be a person as well, isn't it? So everything can practical can help you to, to develop as a person.
0: And I guess here it'd be useful to bring in Edie um, Hirsch and his assumption that to create a education, an education system should be there in effect to create citizens and those citizens to be able to engage in, in society need to, need to be able to read a broadsheet newspaper and understand everything that's in there or at least a lot of what's in there and that requires a very academic education to get the allusions, to get the, the references in, in that newspaper. Do you think that's correct? I mean, what, what's your viewpoint on that?
1: To be able to, to able to actually get the understanding. Oh, I think reading is actually important. I do think you know reading and able to understanding and then transfer your own opinion is very very important. So obviously, I'm going into talking about critical thinking, you know, and and able to judge yourself, you know, because um, <laughs> these days, right? I mean, I think the generation have actually changed an awful lot, and um, they depend on Wikipedia. They do believe the Wikipedia is actually um, you know, fact, you know, or. Uh, or Siri, whatever Siri said, there's a the fact because my, my son would tell me and said, um, Mommy, you're wrong because Siri said this. Okay? And I go, I'm, th- yeah. I'm 100% sure I'm right, you know, unless, you know, the world has changed things like that since, you know, a few days ago. And then, But he would say to me it's not. And, um, and I don't know, I think that, you know, critical thinking, all those 21st century skills are, are extremely important these days. And but one of the I do man- like to mention is, um, so, first of all, I don't think the generation behind, um, you know, coming, right? You know, so my children's generation and maybe their generation after, they don't think the same way as us, okay? I think for most of us, we like a stable job, right? A stable, permanent job, which probably hopefully pays well and, uh, and in some way we can have extremely good fulfillment from our job. For them, they're very different. They don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, they always ask me, why are you working so hard, okay? I don't want to work so hard when I'm older, okay? What they want is they want a, preferably a part-time job, okay, and uh, or somehow they can work for a few hours a day, earn okay money, and um, and they want to retire when they are 30 or 40. <laughs> yeah, and then they might go back. They might go back again after you know they retire for a few years, and then they go back and they go traveling. I mean, this is the this is basically happening all around. And if you work them very hard, right, and they would just quit. Yeah, and I you must heard about this before, and I know you know all the audience would probably go, "Yep, yeah, that's happening in my in my company a lot as well." And and I mean, basically, my son will tell me what he wants to be in the future. He wants to be a YouTuber. <laughs> okay, because he said that makes more money than you do, you know, and um, there are more people following a YouTuber than you do, you know, so maybe he's right. Maybe the way we are doing things is not the way to be doing in the future. So here we are talking about, you know, academic knowledge. Maybe in the future that's not, that's not needed. I mean, it's 21st century skills the, the way to go, and um, maybe for the next 20 years, but is it going to be the way to go after the 20 years?
0: nobody knows right? So you're not, so you would say that in the old, in in, in the, in sort of our generation that ability to engage with a broad street newspaper would, would be your sort of uh, door to citizenship, and you would require that academic knowledge. But yeah. is your argument then that actually the next generation, those broadsheet newspapers, that that sort of academic access knowledge is going to be less important for citizenship?
1: Yes, I do believe that it is definitely going to be less important. Some things will remain, but something will be less important, and um, and and I think it'd have to be you know between. Uh, primary, secondary, and university, we better find very good ways to develop these other, you know, 21st century skills, you know, for our students, you know. In, at the University of Hong Kong, we actually um, ask all our students, all our students, you know, have different graduate attributes, right? So it's obviously leadership, critical thinking, global citizenship, and and, and ethical and professionalism, all those are part of our graduate attributes. But on top of that, they're required to do one overseas um Traveling, exchange, or you know, or uh, internship, but one overseas and one from mainland China as well. So we think that is actually a really good way for them to to develop their 21st century skills. Now, obviously, how do we assess that is another big challenge,
0: and one that we st- I guess people are still struggling with. I know there's a lot of work in the states as well about how you assess character or how you assess creativity, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's some it is harder isn't it to assess those elements than whether someone knows when the battle of waterloo was for example and, and why the battle of waterloo
1: happened yeah no absolutely it is it is difficult i mean there is an area that i'm actually you know very much engaged into Um i think it is quite different in terms of first of all is um, we can't just assess any person because everybody has prior experience different right i mean some some kid would have like, you know, traveled around the world more than you and me, right? And some kid yeah. would have um, never traveled but actually worked in the, as a part-time job down the road and he learned different skills than the other guy, you know? So um, everybody has different prior experience and different level of um, 21st century skills. Now, do we need to find out in such a way that um, are they, you know, are they at a certain level or do we need to find out, you know, are they value-added since they go into our education system. I think it's something that, you know, policymakers need to make a decision on. You know, do they go, you know, if everybody is an A grader, you know, do they have criteria for A grader, you know? And then, of course, do we actually need to mark them as such, you know, in terms of A, B, C, D, E, or whatever classes of level they use, you know? I think there's something. But there is one thing I am looking into because I realize that 21st century skills is quite different. Um, First of all, that students need to engage, okay? Um, So while they are doing it inside the classroom, outside the classroom, they need to realize why they're doing it. Because unlike um, normal academic knowledge, you would not question your teacher. You won't question why you're doing science. You won't question why you're doing mathematics. But if you are asking them, look, I'm going to teach you um, leadership skills, right? they're going to turn around and go, why are you teaching me leadership skills? That's not part of the curriculum, okay? Mm-hmm. That's the first thing they will ask. And, um, and then they will kind of disengage straight away, right? Before we have something called the approach to learn, okay, which is kind of a 3P model, how do we approach to learn, how students approach to learn their academic knowledge? It can be deep learning. It could be surface, um, surface learning, okay? They just memorize it, do well in the exam, and then they forget it the minute they finish the exam kind of surface learning but I think for generic skills or 21st century skills we can't have that we cannot have this like you know deep and surface because um, you could have a very very a class student right you know and um, a star students he or she might decide that I don't want to go to do an experiential learning that's just a waste of my time okay I just don't want to do it I don't want to go and and uh, and, and go out and do an exchange I would rather stay here because I, that's how I get better grades okay so they won't go and engage into it and straight away they won't learn they won't de- they won't even have the opportunity to develop those 21st century skills so i coined that as an approach to develop with kind of engage and avoid learning rather than deep and social surface learning it's, it's quite different in that way so first of all is we have to ensure that the student understand why they're learning or developing those skills i think that's the first thing we need to help them with you know.
0: Do you think, I guess the last question is is whether how this change you're, you're after comes about. I mean, is this a sort of incremental shift towards a, a more balanced, or in, in your view, a more balanced curriculum where we have the useful, useful knowledge, as it were, or is it going to take uh, somewhere like China, who who is quite a model for the world at the moment, how mm. teaching happens—is is, would they shift, and then everyone else shift, or is this something we're just going to discover when this generation hits their thirties that actually uh, what what we taught them wasn't fit for purpose?
1: Well, I think we are we are somehow you know moving in that direction anyway. It's slow, but um, we are definitely changing. And um, I see um, I see education in in Hong Kong. I mean. 21st century skills is basically the you know the topic of everyone's in in education these say you know how do we you know enhance them how do we develop them for our students and i think what we haven't done is actually to do with the assessment part because assessment drives learning if we have somehow you know have a make a decision on like you know how do we you know mark it or grade it or pass it or make it a stand proof it If we have something like that, right, you know, then employer would care, society would care, parents would care, and, you know, it makes things a bit easier to go by them. I think that's, you know, that is something we need to, but we are shifting, we are slowly shifting, baby step, as I mentioned, you know, but we are shifting that way.
0: And do you, what's your argument to those who say uh, 21st century skills don't exist, you need, you know, the basic skills are the same, core competencies are the same, and they have been the same for thousands of years, it's the application that's different. What's what's the sort of answer to
1: that? Well, I do agree that it is probably the same, right? But, you know, the the world has changed, (laughs) that's basically it. And I think we have to change the world. Like, I mean, you know, it's as simple as that, you know, 20 years ago, we don't have internet. Right? We, well maybe per- 30 years ago we don't have internet now we have internet 20 30 years ago we still use VHS. now we don't even use um dvds anymore we just download online and and, and stuff like that i mean um in 20 i think it's in 2040s there's no more tv people are saying there's no more tv right because um, everything is going to be online in the media you can just you know call it whenever it is you know so the world is changing. So um, it would be naive for those to say, "Well, 21st century skills are the same from before," because um, and we're not changing. It's just been naive.
0: Do you think there's a there's an element there as well where you know we are becoming king of our own domain, the amount of choice we have as a consumer, as a, as a, as a citizen now, in terms of how we access uh, mainly recreational elements of our lives, but also we have a very vast degree of control. Does that change the nature of who we are as well?
1: Um, probably, probably. It is different now, I think, isn't it? Like, I mean, I'm, when you said that, I'm just thinking when I was uh, first moved to Ireland when I was 10 years old, uh, I was really bored because there's nothing besides except like grass, you know, the green island. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's nothing there. We can't travel. There's, you know, phone costs a fortune. TV doesn't really work after the time. And uh, But now, I mean, you know, the children is, um, you know, they can just pick up an iPad, an iPhone, and they can do whatever they want there. I mean, yes, I mean, we are, and we are, if we are I mean, but it depends what we're using it for, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it, it's, it is it is different um probably not answering you directly but i i think the, the world is different in, in general yeah
0: well you can read cecilia's feature in uh tez on the 14th of december and uh, i'm sure we'll be hearing from her a lot more in the magazine too thank you cecilia for talking to us today
1: thank you thank you john